Uh, Please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1 as we continue our series that we've only just begun last Sunday in the book of Genesis. Uh, It's no accident that God's revelation to His people in history begins with the creation of all things, begins with God and moves from God to that creation. In the beginning, God, we read last week, and then it goes on to describe creation. Uh, This creation account is not here just because, sure, it makes sense to start at the beginning, uh, but because we are to understand that all of existence, all of reality, belongs to this Creator God who is at work in the world and in history, that we are His because we are His creation, that in His creative work, His power is on display As Paul says in Romans 1, we looked at last week, we know from the creation account, and as we look around at creation, at the world that has been made, as we know ourselves, right, Paul Paul tells us in Romans 1 that, that the conscience, which belongs to every person, not just believers, testifies against us, that we know from these created elements that there is a God, that He is to be worshiped, that He is to be served, We come to this Genesis account, and there's so much more here in these verses than a mere account of the creation of the material world. This is not here to satisfy our curiosity about particularly how God did this, but it is God not just giving us history, but revealing His very self in the creative work. God reveals Himself here in these verses. And so as we work through the text this morning, we're going to look at the the six days of creation. We're going to stop just shy of the creation of Adam and Eve. Uh, So we're going to look at the, the first three days of creation in which the spheres are created and the next three days in which those spheres are filled. But the creation account, having begun with God who is our maker, ends with mankind, the crowning uh, effect, the, the, the crowning work of creation on the part of God. And as we, uh, we do so, we're going to see a great deal more about God than merely the creation of some material things and the ordering of those things into particular places. And so, uh, in just a moment, I'm going to read, and I'm going to go ahead and start in verse 1, since it's, uh, it's so brief, verses 1 and 2, and then we'll pick up and continue through this morning's text, 3 through 25. Let me pray, and we'll read God's Word. Fathers, we come to Your Word this morning. Uh, We come as those who are on this side of the fall, but also as those who are on this side of the cross. We have Your Holy Spirit dwelling in us, and it is by means of Your Spirit working through the Word that You have promised, not only to make these things known to us, intellectually, but to be transforming us as we come and we hear. Father, give us ears to hear this morning. We pray that you would do this work in us, bring the dead to life, and perfect those of us who are waiting for Christ to come again. We pray that you would do these things for our good and for your glory this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Hear the reading of God's Word, Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. 
And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed each according to its kind on the earth, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great creatures, great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and to everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning, uh, there's, there's so many things, of course, we could talk about from these verses. But I want to focus on what I think is the, the primary intention of God in revealing these things to us in this way. And that is first, that our God is the source of all wisdom. Our God is the source of all wisdom. Second, that our God is the source of all good order. Our God is the source of all good order. And finally, our God is the source of all life. Our God is the source of all life. First, our God is the source of all wisdom. Uh, the first point this morning may require you to stretch a bit, but I hope that by the time I've made my case from Scripture, you'll see clearly what it is that's, that's uh, happening, what it is that's being revealed here. God begins the six days of creation by creating light. Uh, he says, let there be light, and there was light, verse 3. 
Many have recognized the strangeness of this. If you've not noticed before, it's day one that light is created, but it's not until day four that the sun and moon and stars are created. And so what's, what's going on with the light here? Light becomes an image, light and darkness both, throughout the rest of Scripture. Uh, images, light representing the revelation of God, the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God. Darkness representing the, the rebellion against that, the ignorance of those things, the refusal to acknowledge those truths about God and God as the source of this wisdom. And we're going to, to see, uh, as you continue through Scripture, we, we couldn't possibly uh, survey all of the ways that light and darkness are used in narrative literature, in wisdom literature. Uh, the psalmist famously in 119 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word, right? God's revelation is the light. John in his gospel in John 1 says, uh, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And he goes on to describe this word. He says, In him, that is Jesus Christ, the word, was life. And the life was the light of the world the light of men, he goes on to say that the darkness could not overcome it, that Jesus Christ is the light. John again picks this theme up at the end of Revelation when he's describing the new heavens and the new earth, and he's describing particularly in terms of the new Jerusalem what it will be like for us to be forever with God in his kingdom. And he says there will be no night anymore, and there will be no sun, moon, or stars, because the glory of God will be its lamp and the Lamb will be its light. We end up in the end of Revelation where we begin this morning in a world where there's no sun, moon, or stars, but God Himself is the source of the light. It's certainly true that, that what's being revealed here is that God created light as we know it. But there's more than that here for us to see. This is God moving into, if we can speak that way of God, moving into the creative space in which He is going to create all things. And as He moves into that space, He begins by lighting the space. He begins by, as He comes into the place, in a sense, it's almost as if you couldn't help but light to come into this place because God has come into this place. And he is the source of the light that is, is illuminating us right now on this day. But even that, as true as it is, is only ultimately an illustration of the fact that God himself is the source of all wisdom and knowledge and light. God said, let there be light. The theme is continued through the text, actually, though it won't come back to light itself. Every day. Is, is described, it's defined in terms of an evening and a morning. Now, whatever else that may mean in terms of actual time passing, notice that it's a movement from darkness to light. God, as he's, he's bringing all of this into order, as he's giving structure and purpose to all of creation, keeps describing the days in which he's working as moving from darkness to light, from evening to morning. All of God's revelation and, and all of creation is a revelation of God. All of God's creative work, all of His creative acts are themselves a kind of light, a revelation of the truth. 
God is the source of wisdom. And so this morning, what do we do with this truth? If God is the source of all truth, the source of all wisdom, the source of all revelation, the one by whose light we see the truth, then what does this mean for us today, this morning? Well, first, God is the source of all wisdom. The Word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path, and therefore, if we want wisdom, if we want the truth, we must find it in God by His Spirit in us. Now, that, that sounds very churchy for me to say it that way, but listen, there is no question you have about life, no information you need about how to live that is not found in God. It is His creation. We're going to see in the next point that, that all good order is established by God. Everything that is right and good and true is sourced in God, and not only because it is His very character, but because He has then turned to us in His creation and revealed it. Whatever questions we may have, we ought to be going to God's Word. We ought to be turning to one another, inasmuch as, as all of us have access to this Word and the Spirit by which we read this Word and understand it. God is the source of all wisdom, and so we ought to turn to Him for truth. To say it another way that maybe will make it more obvious how to apply this, we ought not to be turning to the world. There is common grace. There are things the world knows that are true. But the only reliable, inerrant source of truth is to be found in God's Word and therefore, in as much as we read His Word and know His Word among His people. We should not be turning to the world, and all too often we do. Sometimes we do it intentionally, but often we do it unintentionally. We have questions about relationships and what's right, and we too often listen to foolishness. One of the things that we, we run into in our, our counseling is difficulty in marriage, and we've heard before from one spouse or the other, God wants me to be happy, and I'm not happy, so I'm leaving this relationship. That's the foolishness of the world speaking. And usually it's all the friends around that particular spouse telling that spouse, no, leave that person, right? Not worth messing with. It's too much trouble. Life is too short. Find happiness at all costs. It's the foolishness of the world. Too often we're turning to the world to find out what's right and good and true, and we ought to be turning to God's Word and to one another, again, in as much as we together, the church, have this Word and the Spirit living in us. What else? God is to be praised and thanked for giving us this light. God was under no obligation to reveal these things to us, but has spoken. He has condescended to us to speak these things, and we ought to be thankful and praise Him that He has spoken to us by His Word and Spirit. We ought to be encouraged because we know the darkness of this world, and we know our need of wisdom, and God has not left us without a light. God's light in the world is ultimately Jesus Christ. 
And as such, God sheds light in the world because he is love and he loves the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We ought to look to God and his word for our wisdom, wisdom that is life in Jesus Christ. And what is wisdom? But the knowledge of what is right and good and true. And who knows what is right and good and true? but the one who made all things and gives purpose to all things. God said, let there be light, and he has been shedding light on his people ever since by his word and spirit. We ought to give thanks. Second, this morning, our God is the source of all good order. In contrast to the, the point we just made, this, I think, is, is clearer from the text. It's clear, isn't it, that God has a determined order for all things, and he goes about his work in an orderly fashion. Did you notice as we were reading uh, that the days are described in an identical pattern? God speaks, and whatever he commands comes to pass, and then he declares it to be good, and then he defines the day. There was evening and there was morning the first day. And he goes on and, and uses the same pattern in the second day. The pattern itself is meant to communicate to us order and intentionality. Our God is the source of all good order. Everything in the creation, as it's described in these verses, has its place and its function. Notice that, that God is not creating here the way someone might create in a studio where they make one thing and set it on the shelf and they make another thing and set it on the shelf and they make another thing and set it on the shelf. But as God creates, all of these things have their place. All of them have their function. To use a theological term, they all have their telos, their end, their purpose for which they were created. And that language is here. He not only creates the spheres in the first three days, but you begin especially on the third day with the creation of vegetation and then on into the days following with sun, moon, and stars and all the living creatures. You begin to see this language. So look at, at verse 11. Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. There's this purpose, this place. Everything has a place. Everything is given its purpose, and everything has its relationship with everything else, all established by God. That kind of language is prominent in the rest of the verses this morning, especially as we get back to life in verse 20. God is, is creating these things and he, he, as the creator, is describing their purpose and their place. Our God is the source of all good order. We see that God has established the created order, not only the laws of physics, which govern creation, but even the metaphysical. Those relationships, those intangible things, the purpose for which any given thing is created. That's why I said at the beginning this morning that this is not a mere account of the creation of the material world given to us to satisfy some scientific curiosity. God is creating all things here, material and immaterial, physical and metaphysical, relationships and purpose. So what, what does this mean for us then? 
we, we can look at the text and say, yes, of course, God is a God of order, and uh, he's given everything its place and its purpose. What do we do with this then? We're reminded that God is a God of order, not of confusion or chaos, that, that God is, has a purpose for all things and is moving towards an end, has created all things for an end and a purpose, first to glorify himself and then to do so through his work of salvation. God has established this order on his absolute authority, therefore we are sub- to submit to it. This is one of those, those things that kind of creeps in. Uh, you, you have to, to pause over this long enough uh, for it to sink in and begin to, to have an impact. But if God has created every single thing that exists and given it a place and a purpose, and then given us some kind of dominion in the world, what is our responsibility? Our responsibility is to live in this world and to exercise that dominion according to the purposes that God established. So when I use the word metaphysical, for example, one of the things, and we'll see this more in next week's text, that is created by God here is marriage. And so it would be easy this morning for me to pick on the thing that, you know, I think most of us agree on that God established marriage to be between one man and one woman forever for the rest of their lives together. But again, I think that would feel too much like talking about other people. And for those of us who are in marriages right now, our marriages were created for a purpose. God is the one who established the purpose for marriage. And our calling in the context of marriage is to pursue that purpose, to accomplish in our marriages by the grace of God, by His Spirit working in us, to pursue and to accomplish in our marriage what God has intended for that marriage. What is that? Well, we actually, we just covered that a few weeks ago, didn't we, in Ephesians. This is why Paul's talking to us in Ephesians about marriage. Why does Paul have anything to say about marriage? Because marriage was created by God for a purpose, and we are in it. And therefore, we ought, particularly as Christians, to be serving that purpose with our marriages. And that's just an example. Everything, every relationship, this is why the the instructions for marriage are placed by Paul in what we call the larger section, the household code. He's going to tell us how children ought to relate to parents, and parents ought to relate to children. Masters to slaves. And so today and and throughout the rest of of Ephesians in the back half of that letter are instructions about how we ought to relate to one another. All of this is established by God for a purpose. And we ought to be in all of our relationships with parents and children, with siblings, with friends, with brothers and sisters in Christ, with employers and employees and co-workers with our neighbors in the neighborhoods in which we live and the places in which we work and play, all of those relationships, brothers and sisters, all of them are defined by God. All of them given a purpose by God. And our calling is to pursue that purpose. And if we're ignorant of the purpose, then we ought to look to His Word to find that purpose. I'm going to try not to be, I'm give up on being slick here. I'm falling apart. This is why uh, it's important for us to recognize in Genesis 
that God has, has given order to all things. So much of our rebellion, in fact, perhaps defined a particular way, all of our sin consists of this, that we have refused to accept the order and the purpose that God has established and are intent on establishing our own. We will use our marriages for what we want. We will use our relationships with others for what we want, to get what we want the way we want to get it. We have to acknowledge that God has given order and purpose to all things. We're to repent of rebelling against this order and abusing it. We ought to look for areas in our lives where things are disordered and reorder them according to God's design in all of our relationships with those around us. The session here at the church, this is part of what the session does. In fact, it's, it's one of the, the most significant aspects of what the session is called to do, is to be asking the question, what purpose has God given to the church? And how has he called us to fulfill that purpose? And then to oversee the work of the church so that we are moving towards that end in obedience to God. Finally, under this point, we are to take comfort in the fact that God created all things for a purpose, which includes an end, that telos. And creation is moving towards that end according to God's sovereign grace and mercy, as well as his perfect justice. Finally, this morning, our God is the source of all life. It would be extraordinary if God had simply created the spheres in which all living things existed, but he's also created all living things. And he's done so, according to the text, with no more effort than he created the spheres in which we exist. We're told that he has not merely created some microscopic life out of which all other life flows, evolves, something that we have not been able to recreate ourselves as human beings, according to science. He's not only done this, but he's created all life according to its kind. Where other creation stories in history pit one God against another and the creator God against monsters so that creation ends up being a sort of unintended result of the, the fighting between the God who creates and those who are opposed to him. Some cosmic battle. Scripture here describes a creative event in which God simply wills all of these things. He speaks and they happen. There's no conflict. There's no one to stand against God. And where typically in the ancient Near East, in the context in which we, we get this creation account, there's usually some great sea serpent who's struggling against the creator God, and in their struggle, they part the seas, and there's uh, suddenly land, and all of these things are happening. Here in our creation account given to us by God, as an offhand statement, he creates the great sea creatures, and they are. And he consigns them to the sea, and that's where they remain, and they do precisely what they are told. There's no struggle, no fighting. They serve the God who made them. Our God is the source of all life. He's the origin of all life and creation, and as such, he is free to give life 
and take life where he wills. So what do we do again with this truth this morning? First, we have to acknowledge that life has value because it is given by God. Life has value because it is given by God. And of course, this this has application for us in uh, so much of what's happening in our culture today in terms of the, uh, the defense of life with the unborn. It's important in other phases of life as well. Uh, it's, it's not a recent development, this question about letting people voluntarily die because they're sick. Kevorkian and that idea have been around for quite some time in our modern culture. What about those who are in need and don't have what is needed in order to sustain life? There's so many ways that we ought to be valuing life, expressing the value that life has because life is given by God. It's not the result of something random, some impersonal force in the universe, but God himself has given life, and so we are to value it. We may not take life unjustly since it's not ours to give. Justice matters. If we are in need of life, we must go to God and God alone to get life. There is no other source. Now, one of the elements, one of the the characteristics of somebody who's dead is that they they don't know they're dead, right? One imagines. Uh, And when we talk about life and needing life, you may, if this is new to you, you may be thinking to yourself, well, isn't it only a living person who would know that, but then they're living, so they don't need life. The life that we're talking about here today is not only physical, but it's particularly spiritual. Paul tells us in Ephesians that we were dead, dead in our trespasses and sins, walking according to the world and its values. But God, being rich in mercy, has brought us from death to life. When we hear the good news of the gospel, when we hear that this creator God, against whom all of us have rebelled, we're going to find out about that in chapter 3, but I, I think we can jump ahead to it because I think we all know this about ourselves. Even if you, you don't confess Christ, all of us have a conscience, and that conscience convicts us. If you're not trusting in Jesus Christ this morning, Your conscience is convicting you because you are are dead, the Bible says, spiritually dead. That was the penalty for sin. And what you desperately need is life. And the only source for that life is the Creator God, who has done all that is necessary in order for us to gain that life. All that is required is that we would believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and Savior of sinners. That believing that, we would repent of our sins. Repentance, it sounds like such a, a religious thing, a Christian thing. Repentance means that we acknowledge that we're sinners. We acknowledge that we have rebelled. We acknowledge that we've pursued our own order and our own ends contrary to God's created order and purpose. We admit that. 
And admitting that, we acknowledge that we desperately need to be delivered from the justice of God that we deserve. And if we will trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone for that salvation and repent of our sins, acknowledge that we have been rebellious, God promises to give us life. And it's not a a promise that will one day be fulfilled. If you walked into this place this morning not trusting Christ and repenting of your sins, and you walk out of this place this morning trusting Christ and repenting of your sins, you walk out having gone from death to life. You came in here spiritually dead. You can walk out of here this morning spiritually alive, and it's not a metaphor. It's the truth. And there's no one who can do that for you but the God who created all things and gave life in the first place. Is this the God that we worship and serve? Is this how you are serving Him? By seeking to order your entire life, thoughts and words and deeds, according to His plan and purpose as He's revealed it in His Word? If that's you, if you are in Christ, if you're trusting in Him, repenting of your sins, then this God that we're reading about in creation, He's your God, and He's not just your Creator, He's your Redeemer. And He has expressed His love for us in Jesus Christ, an ultimate expression of love in all of history. Jesus Christ, who for love for us, went willingly to the cross, suffered and died, though he had never done anything himself to deserve the justice of God. Brothers and sisters, uh, it's, for those of us who are in Christ, what a joy to come back to these verses, to spend time in this word and be reminded that the one who created all things simply by speaking is the one who holds us in his hand, the one who has made promises to us, and the one who is faithful always to keep his promises. Amen. Let's pray.